Hey, what's up, church? I hope everyone is having a great day today. I'm actually speaking at Celebration Orlando today. And man, you should see what God is doing in our Orlando campus. And I want to thank so many of you for your heart for the house giving because that campus is just exploding right now. So I'm preaching at our Orlando campus today. You are about to hear a great message as we continue in our Giant series. And I'm going to be back here next weekend as we continue further in the Giant series. Come on, you're an overcomer. It's in your DNA. You're going to have a great day today. God bless, church. I'll see you next week. How are we doing this morning, church? Are we good? Awesome. Come on. Who's excited to be at service 1130? Anybody feeling good? You got your rest? Awesome. Awesome. Hey, my name's Clay, and I'm one of the pastors here at Celebration. I oversee our Sub-30 Young Adult Ministry as well as some of our Celebration College stuff here, and it's a privilege to preach God's Word to you today and be with you. Every time Pastor Stovall and Carrie invite me to come and speak on a Sunday morning, I'm really, really honored. It's a big deal, and I'm very, very thankful for lead pastors who are empowering and releasing, and they give, uh, they give young guys like me an opportunity to do uh, what I love to do, and that's communicate God's Word. And I know they're not here with us right now, but can we just put our hands together and honor our senior pastors, Pastor Stovall and Carrie. Love them so much, so thankful for them and their leadership. And uh, right now we even are welcoming our Orange Park campus, St. John's, and everyone watching online. Uh, we're just really glad to have you as well. Yeah, put your hands together. We love them, they're family. And, uh, we love all of our campuses. It's gonna be a great day. Have you had a good Valentine's weekend? Have you had a good one? My wife has informed me uh, that it is in fact a Valentine's weekend. There's no longer just one day. It is many days now. And so, uh, so uh, it, it's a big to-do now. She gets spoiled multiple days, uh, but that's all right, isn't it, guys? That's okay. We're gonna spoil our Valentine's. Like three ladies clapped. I didn't hear any guys say anything. So when you're in the doghouse this afternoon, you have no one to blame but yourself. Hey, if you have your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we're gonna go. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, this giant series is, uh, is something that we're really excited about. Last week, were you here last week? Who was here by a show of hands last week when Pastor Stovall kicked off the giant series? Such a great message, such a great word. And so thank you, Pastor, for making me follow that. That's awesome. And... Uh, I'll try my best. So 1 Samuel 17, let me set it up for you before we start reading a very familiar passage uh, and narrative. It's the David and Goliath narrative in scripture. And uh, right before we pick up in our reading, I'll let you know. So what's happening right here is the Philistine nation uh, is now declared war on the Israelites. And so here they are, they've come to war against the Israelites. The Philistines have with them a nine foot nine, almost 10 foot tall giant named Goliath who is there, who is now taunting uh, the people of God and the army of God, and, and they're at a standstill for 40 days. They've been at a standstill. No one wants to come into the valley and fight because you would, give, uh, you would give up the upper ground. You'd have to come into the valley. That's not good battle tactics. So they've been at a standstill for 40 days. Meanwhile, there's a shepherd boy, uh, shepherd boy named David who is sent by his father to the battlefield to deliver some uh, food for his brothers. And when David shows up, he sees all that is taking place. He sees the battle is at a standstill and he sees Goliath and David says, is, is nothing going to be done about this guy named Goliath? And well, well if no one else is gonna do anything, then, then I'll do something. So David throws his, his name into the hat. He raises his hand. Hey, hey, I'll go out 
I'll fight this giant named Goliath. And that's where we're going to pick up in our reading right here. King Saul in verse 33. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're just a young man. And this guy has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. Come on, that's like man status right there. You're just grabbing lions by the hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And King Saul looked at David and said, well, you know, all right, young guy, I mean, you know, go and the Lord be with you. And so then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his own sword over the tunic and he tried walking around, but he was not used to them. Look what David says, I can't go in these. He said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off and he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his pouch of his shepherd bag. And with the sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. Verse 41. And meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer and closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, looked just like Pastor Clay. And he decided... Come on, you can add where you want to add right there. So, uh, and he despised him. Goliath despises David. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you to, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And I, I love this response from David. But David said to the Philistine, oh, will you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin? But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. And on this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day, I will give the carcasses of the entire Philistine army to the birds of the air and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And all those who gather here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. Come on, that's good stuff right there, church. The battle is the Lord's. How many of you know this morning, there's no giant that can stand when the battle is the Lord's. We, we, we serve an awesome champion of a God in Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. And, and he will give you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone and, and he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut his head off with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah, they surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines all the way to the gates of Ekron. If you're taking notes uh, this morning, which we highly encourage, it's always great to write some things down as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. I have entitled this message, You're Not the Underdog. You're not, you're not. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're not the underdog. Look at your second choice, the person you didn't wanna talk to the first time, and tell them, say, you're, you're not the underdog either. 
okay? Everybody's gonna get talked to today. Everybody's getting love in church today. So it's Valentine's weekend. Everybody's gonna get some love. So hey, you're not the underdog. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that it's not like any other book on, on our shelf, God. It is living, breathing, alive. Lord, when we take your word and apply its principles and precepts to our life, we are so much better for it. So Jesus, we lean in this morning. God, give us ears to hear, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. I am, I'm gonna be 30 years old this year, right? And so I feel like I'm at that point. I'm, I'm, my 20s are leaving me. I'm crossing over into my 30s. It's like a pre-midlife crisis for me. Some of you are like, really, buddy? I, 30, I only wish. So uh, I'm, I'm coming into my 30s, which means that I was born in 1985. Uh, 1985, and, uh, and, and I grew up in a Christian household. My parents are still pastors to this very day in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, so I grew up in church, always been around the things of God. So being born in the mid-80s, that simply means this, that I am a child of 80s and 90s Christian music. Come on, somebody. 80, who remembers just the good old 80s and not Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis, Chapman, Twyla Paris, for him, Amy Grant. Come on, I'll rattle them off all day long, right? 80s and 90s Christian music. I'm sure it's, it's safe to say those were, they were special, might define those years. Uh, it was special music. And, uh, and not only that, but I went to a Christian school growing up in, in middle and high school, a Christian private school. And uh, we, we were so ingrained with 80s and 90s Christian music that the very first time I ever slow danced with a young lady, it was to this song by Michael W. Smith called Place in This World. It was... bring her in close. This was my first dance at my school, right? The counselors were walking by. They're like, hey, 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 you better leave some room for Jesus, all right? I see you. I'm like, okay, mom, thank you, all right? And, right, it's special, 80s and 90s. Christian music is powerful times. And uh, I, I remember there was another song that came to my mind when I thought about all that we're gonna discuss today. And, and I, I won't talk about the artist or anything like that because I'm basically, I'm basically about to deconstruct their entire song. Um, but it was, it was a song, and in the, in the song, the artist was kind of painting a picture of Jesus and Satan like fighting each other in a boxing match type setting. Okay, it, it was a boxing match setting and, and here's Jesus and the devil and there's an announcer and there's a crowd and the whole deal and, and so here they are and I, I understand what they were trying to do. They're, I think they were trying to depict like the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus in this type song and, but, but as they're telling the song, the, there came a moment where Jesus gets knocked down. Right, like Satan just hits him one good time and now Jesus is on the ground. And in the song, like the entire crowd is, man, they are praying, they are pleading and begging, like, come on, Jesus, you can get up. You can do it. Come on. The announcer's giving Jesus the 10 count. Come on, like one, two, three. And everyone's like, come on, Jesus, oh my gosh, come on. Come on, Christians, let's start praying. Jesus is down. Let's, we're gonna have to pick him up. And, and, and you know, he gets back up at the end of the song and like throws a one-two punch on the devil. Jesus wins, right? That's how the, the song ends. Hooray, Jesus wins the fight. And, and I began to think about that. And, and, and when I thought about it, here, here's what I wanna say. I've come to the conclusion that that framework, that scenario, and that type of thinking, that's the completely wrong way to view Jesus. Like it's, I don't think that's the proper way to view Jesus at all because I need to remind somebody in here this morning, Jesus is not knocked down. 
Jesus never gets knocked down. Jesus never needs your 10 count in life. Some, sometimes I feel like we as Christians, we, we see giants approaching in our life and they look big and they look mean and, and we start praying like, come on Jesus, you can get up. You can help me with this one, oh God please. And, and we're begging and we're pleading. Jesus isn't Rocky Balboa. He's never knocked down. He never needs the 10 count. He, he's always then forevermore the victorious champion. He's already won the fight before it ever started. And when we have this misconception that Jesus at times gets knocked down and we're hoping that he can get back up, that's the wrong way to view Jesus. That, that, that's not Jesus at all. He has never been, nor will Jesus ever be the underdog, ever. And listen to me, church, when you are in Christ, you're not the underdog either. You, you, you can't be. It's impossible to be. You see, that word underdog, it implies two things. Number one, it implies that it, you haven't been given much of a chance in this fight if you're the underdog. Haven't been given much of a chance. And, and secondly, it means that even if you elect to fight, if you were to win, it would be very miraculous if you were to come out on, on top in this one. That is not Jesus. That, that never will be Jesus. Jesus is not the underdog and you're not the underdog either. And what I wanna do this morning is I wanna look at this narrative of David and Goliath. Here's how I like to approach the Bible. A lot of people ask me this at times. Pastor Clay, how do you study the Bible? I treat it like a treasure hunt. I try to find as many things in a passage of scripture as I possibly can. I wanna wring it out for as much as I can get out of it. And that's what I wanna do today. And inside of this story, I love, Pastor came to me. He said, Clay, I want you to talk about the David and Goliath narrative. That's the easiest passage in the world to preach. It really is. Because there, there's five million things going on right here that we could look at. We don't have time for five million, but maybe let's just see what we can pull out this morning that's gonna encourage and build us up. Amen? Awesome. Let's look at verse 34 and let's get back into it. So let's get rolling. It said, but David said to Saul, right? Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and carried the sheep off of the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I killed it. I rescued it. I, I did the whole thing. And, and, and David's the man, right? He's killing lions. He's killing bears, all kinds of stuff. I thought about that verse as I was studying this. And I thought, okay, if you're David and you're a shepherd, that's really frustrating, like lions and bears, like you're, you're just looking, you're like, God, I'm just trying to be a good shepherd. I'm just trying to watch these sheep, make sure they don't die, walk off a cliff somewhere. God, I'm just trying to be a good steward of what I have. Do you think you could keep the lion and the bear off my back for a little while? I mean, come on, God, this is really frustrating me right now. These lions and these bears, I'm just trying to live life. I'm just trying to build and cultivate good things. Could you keep the lion and the bear off? But God revealed this to me, church, and it's so, so true. Sometimes what is frustrating you now is the very thing that's preparing you for later. Sometimes. Sometimes what's frustrating you right now is the very thing that's preparing you for later. And when you come to the realization of that, when you allow that revelation to get in you, all of a sudden you're not complaining to God because of the lion and the bear. You're thanking God for the lion and the bear because you know it's made you stronger for the giant that you're about to face. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you knew my beginning from the end and you knew what I was gonna face, so you gave me a lion and a bear so that it would build up my faith, it would build up my strength for what lies ahead of me. God knows all things, and he's doing this for our benefit. You see, the fact of the matter is, is we're in a series called Giants, and some of you have giant problems right now, but others of you just got lion and bear problems right now. But your lion and your bear problems are strengthening you for what's ahead. 
Start thanking God. God, thank you that you're giving me the opportunity to build strength in this moment, God. I'm not gonna curse you because of this. I'm gonna thank you because of this because you're making me stronger. Amen? That's what it does in us. It prepares us for what's ahead. And the same God that took care of the lion and the bear is gonna be the same God that's gonna take care of your giant in Jesus' name. I wrote this down. You see, sometimes you need to remember what God's pulled you out of so you can have faith for what he's leading you into. I don't know about you, I'm coming up on 30, like I said, in 30 years, there's been a whole lot of things that God's pulled me out of. There's been a whole lot of lion and bear situations that God has rescued me from, and when I think back on those things, it gives me so much faith going into my giant problems because I know that God's been good, and if he was good then, he's gonna be good now because he can't deny himself. His personality doesn't change. God's not schizophrenic. If he's good back then with the lion and the bear, he's gonna give me the strength and be good to me right now to go after this giant. Come on, I'm gonna build your faith today. If we do nothing else this morning, we're gonna get our faith increased and our faith built back up. Let's keep reading in verse 38. It says, then David dressed in Saul's tunic. He put the coat of armor on him, put a helmet on his head. He's got the sword he, and, he, and the whole thing. And he started walking around, but he, he can't walk, the Bible says, because he's not used to them. David says, I can't use these. I can't, I can't go like this. I'm, I'm not used to any of this stuff. This is not how I fight. This is not how I, I do it. And, and here's the point I wanna share with you right here, church. Um, you are really good at being you. And you're really bad at being other people. Like you, like you are. You're really good at being yourself and you're really bad at being other people. And, and I talk to so many people at times. I counsel people, especially obviously young adults and college students. So many people out there feel like if I'm gonna do something big for God, then I gotta look a certain way. I gotta talk a certain way. I gotta have a, a specific type of anointing. And well, look at that guy over there. He's doing big things for God. So I guess I gotta look like, act like, talk like, dress like that guy if I want God to do something to me. No, 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 you need to get a revelation that God can do a lot with what you have to offer if you just be you, you just be you. You don't need to wear anybody else's armor. Get a revelation that God can use you while you're just being you to do what he's called you to do. See, I, I, I thought about this too. Um, you see, what you wear affects how you walk, okay? What you wear, it affects how you walk. You ever seen like some dude rolling down the street, his pants hanging so low, it's like he can't even walk straight. He's like having to hold him up the whole way. You ever seen someone with their pants so tight they can't even bend down to pick something up? Like, what you wear affects how you walk. And I see so many Christians and their walk looks funny because they're trying to wear somebody else's armor. You're trying to wear somebody else's calling. You're trying to wear somebody else's anointing. You're trying to wear somebody else's gift set, talents, and abilities. If you would just focus on using what God's given you. Come on, look at your neighbor real quick. Say, neighbor, work what you got. Just work what you got. Because what you have, what you got, it's significant. It's God-given. He doesn't make mistakes. He didn't forget something when it came to you. God has given you everything you need to see giants fall face down in front of your life. You work what you got. and You, you bring the Holy Spirit with you. I'm here to tell you, giants don't stand a chance. Stop wearing other people's armor. You, you be focused on, man, God, this is who you've created me to be. And I, I can do it like, like, I, like me, it can look like me. I can, I can go about it like, like, like I normally do things and God, you can use that. That's good enough and you're gonna use me. I don't have to be anybody else. Don't be a fake imitation, a cheap imitation 
of your, your favorite Christian out there. And I went to New York City uh, a couple years ago. I even have some friends that uh, just got back like a month or two ago. I love New York. Anybody like New York City? It's like an awesome place to go. It's fun. Like there's a million things to do there. You never get bored. And, you know, it, it's got great weather most of the year, except like, I guess if you're there right now and you're freezing uh, to death. But uh, it's normally really, really fun. And one of the things that's unique about New York, and you'll know this to be true, is when you go there, um, you can find like, like cheap imitation goods just for sale on the street, right? Like you could find like, like fake Louis Vuitton handbags. You can find um, like all sorts of stuff, sunglasses, wallets, watches, bags, shoes, all, all type of imitation uh, knockoff kind of stuff of, of designer brands. And I, I've even purchased a few of those things before. I'm like, man, this looks, this looks so real. You can't even tell really. And, and so I, I've got some of those things at times, but here's what I know is that the cheap imitation version, uh, though it looks right for a little while, it never lasts as long as the authentic. Here, here's what you need to know, believer. Uh, um, you, if you're trying to wear somebody else's armor, if you're trying to be a cheap imitation of something else that you see out there, someone else that you see, you might look okay for a little while, but you ain't never gonna last as long as if you would just walk in your calling specifically to what God has created you to be. Don't be cheap, don't be imitation, you be authentic. It's gonna last you a whole lot longer. It's gonna be a lot better for you down the road. Look at verse 40, it says this. It says, then David, he, he's going, he's decided, all right, I'm gonna fight this giant, I'm not gonna wear Saul's armor, I'm gonna be myself, and it, it's, it served me well in the past, and I'm gonna use it against this giant right now. And, and so he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the, the stream and the river. So right here, um, the question then becomes, why five stones, okay? David, why five? Uh, a lot of scholars have, have dove into this before. Some people say, well, Goliath had four sons, and so that's why David had five stones, one for each of them. Some people say, well, five is the number of grace, and so you know, that's why David, he's got grace on his side. I don't know if David knew biblical numerology, so uh, I don't think that's true. But can I just tell you this? Here's why, here's why I think David got five stones. Um, just in case he missed, <laughs> right? Simple enough. Like, I don't know about you, if, if it's me, and I'm walking out to Goliath, I'm like, that's a big old boy right there, and I might just need to grab some extras right here. I'm about to go out. So, uh, all right, we good? We good. Okay, so uh, just in case he missed, and here's what you gotta know, church. Sometimes the giant in your life, maybe it might not fall on the first shot, but that's okay, because I got four more coming right behind it. You see, you, you, need, to, you need to understand and get back in you the, the spirit of a fighter. I don't know any true athlete that likes sitting the bench. Every true athlete I know wants to be on the field, but I believe this, I believe that there are some believers and you have, you have just uh, boiled it all down and you're fine with sitting the bench and I'm here to tell you today, you need to get the fight back in you. You need to get back on the field. You need to keep swinging. Well, what I mean by keep swinging is this. When I was growing up, my dad told me this. My dad looked at me sometimes and he would say, Clay, here's the deal. I never want you to start a fight, okay? You are not to start fights with people. But if somebody starts a fight with you, then you can fight and you have my permission to end it, right? That's a good dad right there. I'm like, for sure, dad, I'm about to end this fight. So you have my permission to end it. But, but then I, I, I asked him, I said, but dad, I don't, I don't know how to fight, dad. What, like, what do I do in, in a fight, dad? How do I go about it? And he looked at me, he said, son, fighting's easy. Just make sure you're the last one still swinging. 
And I just came to tell some believers today, listen, fighting your giant is actually a whole lot easier than you think. Just make sure you're the last one still swinging. You gotta wake up every day with a spirit of faith saying, I'm gonna keep swinging on this giant till I see it fall to the ground. I'm gonna keep swinging. What does that mean? It means I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep fasting. I'm gonna keep believing. I'm gonna keep exercising faith. Oh, I'm gonna keep swinging, swinging, swinging until I see this giant hit the ground. It's that faith. It's that faith that's gotta rise up inside of you. You gotta have a keep swinging type attitude. I wrote this down. Listen to me, church. If you don't give up, you win. If you don't give up, you'll win. It's as simple as that. We got the Lord Jesus Christ on our side. He's never lost a fight. If we don't give up, we will win. We serve an awesome, victorious God. I'm here to tell some people, look, don't give up. You've been sitting on the bench too long in, in regards to, you, you got a giant of marriage problems in front of you, husband leading that marriage. What do you do? You keep swinging. You keep swinging until that giant falls. You keep praying for that marriage till that giant falls down. Some of you moms out there, you got children who aren't serving the Lord and they've gone off and they've done crazy things and they don't want anything to do with God in church. Oh my gosh, what do I do? This is a giant problem in our family. You keep swinging. You keep praying for that son. You keep praying for that daughter. I'm not giving up. I'm not gonna sit on the bench. I will keep fighting. I will keep playing in the game. I will keep giving it everything I got. Keep swinging, keep swinging. If you hadn't written it down yet, you better write it down. Keep swinging. We're gonna be people with faith and we're gonna swing, swing, swing. I love, I love in 1 Timothy chapter six, in verse 12, it says this. This is what God says to us. He says, you need to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. You know what God didn't tell us to do? He didn't say win the good fight of faith because he's already won it. He just said, I need you to fight. I've already handled the win you're just my fighters. Even Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples and people, he said, if you wanna pray for anything, pray that God would send more laborers is what we need. In other words, we need more fighters. We don't need more bloggers. We don't need more talkers. We don't need more tweeters. We need more fighters in the earth. We need more people who are gonna cultivate and fight for good things. And you don't have to worry about winning because our great God Jesus already won. You just need to wake up every day saying, I'm gonna have the spirit of a fighter. I'm gonna have the spirit of a fighter in me when it comes to these giants that try to come against me and my family and my kids. And if you don't give up, you will win, I guarantee it. Verse 40, let's keep looking on. In verse 40, David starts marching down to fight Goliath. He starts marching down to the battlefield to meet his giant. I love it. Even Pastor Stovall last week in his message made reference to this, and it's so true uh, right here in this story as well. When every other person saw the giant as opposition, David saw opportunity. That's important, church. That's important. Too many people walk around, they see the giant in their life and all they see is, man, it's opposition. Man, that's so much opposition. I cannot handle any more opposition right now. Lord knows I got enough opposition, opposition, opposition. You better change your confession and start to recognize that's opportunity. That's, oppor that's an opportunity for our great God to show up and show out in your life and in your circumstances. David saw that, no one else could see it. Isn't it amazing how no one else could see this is an opportunity, but David showed up and David was like, I can't believe no one else sees this. I can't believe no one else sees what an amazing testimony this is gonna be when I roll out there and God uses me to bring this giant down. You see, when stuff like that happens, all of a sudden what has been your test becomes your testimony and God's using your life in a powerful way, but you gotta start to change your confession. It's not opposition, it's an opportunity. You know, and when I say that, hear me, David wasn't in denial. I'm not talking about denial. 
It's not like David was like, I refuse to see the opposition. I'm only gonna recognize opportunity. And it's like the giant doesn't even exist. He, he wasn't in denial. He knew the giant was there. Here's the important, the important point, uh, church. There's a difference between recognition and vision. Recognition is what you know. Vision is what you see, okay? Recognition's what you know. Vision is what you see. So in other words, I recognize the opposition, but I see an opportunity for God to move in this circumstance. I recognize this giant in my life. Oh, but I see a God that's even bigger than you. I recognize the battle ahead, but I already see the victory in Jesus' name. It's okay to recognize the giants. They're there. I understand they're real. I'm not trying to act like they don't exist. They're there. You can recognize it, but you need to switch your thinking and turn on some eyes of faith and vision that you see an opportunity for God to move. When you can wake up every morning and recognize that, when you, when you have that revelation and that understanding, it's gonna completely change how you step out of bed knowing that today is not an, is, it's not an opposition day. Today is an opportunity day. And God, I know what lies ahead of me and I see it rearing its head in front of me. I know that it's coming for me, but God, today is an opportunity for you to do something significant and I'm excited that I get a front row seat. <laughs> opportunity, opportunity. And so maybe practically in here this morning, you might recognize some of you that you have a giant of marriage struggle right now. You have a giant of financial hardship, a giant of sickness, illness, disease, doubt, uh, addiction, career. You have a, a job or, or a career thing that is like a giant in your world right now. I'm here to tell you, you need to start to change your confession and look at those things, with, look at it with eyes of faith, knowing that this is an opportunity for God to move. I'll go one step further. Some of you, you need to get the faith out of your heart and into your mouth, okay? Get it out of your heart and into your mouth. Start to speak life over those things that are in front of you. Start to speak life over those giants that are in front of you. Because hear me this morning, church, what you speak out, you have to live in. What you speak out, you gotta live in. And so if all you're ever speaking out is, man, this big opposition, oh, this really big giant, I don't know how we're ever gonna do this one. If, that, if all you're speaking out is negativity, then welcome to the world of negativity. You gotta live in it now. But if you can change your confession and start speaking out, oh my gosh, that's a big giant and this is a big opportunity for God to knock you down. This is a big opportunity for God to show up. This is a big opportunity for God to be faithful and good to us just like he always has been. Then welcome to the world of opportunity. What you speak out, you gotta live in. Speak faith. Preach to yourself. Come on. Preach to you. I preach to myself all the time. I am such a good preacher to myself. I really am. I preach to myself, I, I look in the mirror, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm preaching to myself. I'm, I'm preaching and declaring the scripture and the goodness of God for me, my wife, my family, the whole, oh man, I can encourage myself in the Lord. If there's anything we can learn from David, it's this, if ain't nobody else gonna encourage me, I will encourage myself in Jesus. If no one else wants to speak life over my family and my circumstance, I will speak life over my family and my circumstance. Come on, take the ownership, let your faith rise up and keep swinging. You keep being a fighter and God's gonna do that work in your life. I love it, I love it. It leads me to my next point. It's our title this morning. You're not the underdog. You're not the underdog. You see, we, we got this whole story really backwards. You are not the underdog and David wasn't either. Okay, now, now this David and Goliath thing, it's become a cultural phrase 
in our generation, a lot of people use it, like on like sporting events and races and stuff, you'll hear like the ESPN announcers, they're like, you know, well, Jim, this is a real David and Goliath story right here between this team and this team and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and people understand David and Goliath's story means an underdog story, but, but David wasn't the underdog. And here's what you gotta understand. If you go to, to Israel and that part of the world, you can actually see this geographically where they were fighting this battle and what happened is the Philistines were on this mountain range and, and the Israelites were on this mountain range and they stood there for 40 days and 40 nights because neither of them wanted to come into the valley to pursue the other because you would give up the high ground and it would make you extremely vulnerable. And so the Philistines have this idea. They say, okay, well, like we've been here long enough, so here, let's do this. We'll send down our best guy, like Goliath, you ready? Come on, this is gonna be super easy. So uh, we'll send down our best guy, and then you guys send down your best guy. They'll fight it out, winner take all. That, that, that's what we'll do. Sound good? All right, sounds good. And, and, and so that's what they decided to do. And, and David is always seen as the underdog. Why? Well, Goliath is, is big and tall and he's got a sword and a shield and a javelin and all. And here comes little old David just walking down with a slingshot. Everyone reads that story and goes, poor David. Didn't really have much of a chance. I mean, we know the end, but, but really he didn't have much of a chance. And he was an underdog who pulled it out in the end. Praise God. So uh, David wasn't the underdog at all because there's something you gotta know about guys with slingshots in, in Old Testament battles. And, and it's very important. They were called slingers and they were actually a very strategic advantage should you have them in your military. We even see this to be true in medieval times uh, as well. And let me give you some sports science uh, behind this. David probably was slinging that sling around at about six or seven revolutions per second which means by the time he released that rock, that rock is traveling uh, at 100 meters per second. 100, or excuse me, 100 feet. Yeah, 100 feet per second. That's faster than any Major League Baseball player we've ever seen, okay? 100 feet per second. In fact, accurate professional slingers were known to have killed things up to 200 meters away. They could, they could kill birds in mid-flight. Birds are rolling over and they could kill them in mid-flight. So they're extremely, extremely accurate. The second thing you need to know about Old Testament battle like this is there's three styles of battle. Number one, there's infantry. Number two, there's cavalry. And number three, there's artillery. And what happened in 1 Samuel 17 is the Philistines sent down infantry. They sent down a foot soldier in Goliath. But you see, Israel sent down artillery. Big, big difference. And what happened here, and, and the key to all of this is, you see, for infantry to win, infantry has to get their hands on you. That's why Goliath kept saying over and over, come here to me, come over here to me. I, I gotta get my hands on you if I'm gonna defeat you. But you see, artillery can win a fight just by sending something ahead of them. You see, church, the next time the devil tries to put a giant in your life to get his hands on you and mess with you, you just need to be reminded that there is something that has already gone before you in the person of Jesus Christ, that you are not infantry, but rather you are artillery because of the work that he's already done. Oh man, the enemy would love to get his hands on you, but I got news for you, enemy. I actually don't have to fight you because my great God Jesus has already beat you. I'm gonna keep swinging, I'm gonna keep doing my part, but you're already defeated, not because of what I gotta do with my hands, but because of what he did on the cross at Calvary with his hands and his feet, and oh, oh come on church, come on. Everybody wants to say, poor David, poor David, poor Goliath. 
He's big enough on his own and you put a couple hundred pounds of armor, he was a sitting duck. He never had a chance against David and what David was capable of. Yeah, and then of course you put the Holy Spirit on his side, fight's over folks. David was not the underdog and you're not the underdog. You plus God is always the majority. Always, every single time, every single time. Come on, I hope this is encouraging your faith this morning. Hope this is encouraging your faith. You, you woke up just, just ready to ride the bench, but come on, you're about to get in the game again. You're about to get in the game. You're about to start swinging. You're about to start lifting up your faith. Every morning when you get up out of bed and you put your feet on the ground, I want the devil and every demon in hell thinking, oh my God, they're awake. This is not a good day. They are up and at them. They're ready to fight. They're ready to have faith. Come on, that's the kind of church we are. That's the kind of believers we are. I'm not backing down. We're gonna fight. We're gonna fight. We're gonna fight. As the band gets ready to join me, this morning, we're gonna fight, man. The truth is, is, is that giants are real. And some of you, th this series is speaking to you. These last two weeks already, it's speaking to you because you recognize, man, I, I got a 10-foot giant in my world right now. Tr truthfully, Pastor, I got a 10-foot giant in my world, and I don't know how I'm going to get over a 10-foot giant. Like, what do I what do? I do? And, and the great thing about this series is that every single week, we're gonna put more and more tools, revelation in your hand, and, and we're gonna help with all that. We're gonna make sure that, that you understand how God has called you to go after these giants that are in your life. But how do I get over a 10 foot giant? It just seems like a really, a really big task. And I looked at verse 50 and 51 and they can put it up if they want. 50 and 51 and, and in these passages, David has now, he's now hit Goliath with the rock and Goliath is face down. David walks over, he, he takes the sword and he cuts off Goliath's head. Now, now the question today for the jury, uh, if you will, is in that verse, is the giant still there? Yes, like, like he's still there, you, he's, he's still present, he's still right there, only now he's 10 feet long and not 10 feet high. Come on, that's a giant that you can easily step over and continue doing what God's called you to do. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. This is where it all culminates right here. This is where I wanna encourage you, faith, right? Speaking about faith, speaking about getting that faith rising up inside of you, that spirit of a fighter. Faith, church, faith has the ability to take that which is over your head and put it under your feet in Jesus' name. That's what faith does. How do I fight giants? How do I get over a 10 foot tall giant? You exercise faith and trust in Jesus that he will do the complete work that he always does. And all of a sudden that giant ain't 10 feet tall anymore. He turns into 10 feet long. You step over him and you keep walking toward your purpose. You keep walking toward your destiny and calling in Jesus Christ. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> faith is the currency of the kingdom. Faith and obedience is what brings down giants. Faith and obedience is what parts Red Seas. Faith and obedience is what brings down walls called Jericho. Do you have any faith, church? Is it in you? Is it in you? Are, are you waking up? Are you in the word? Are you devoted to God? Are you a person of prayer and fasting? Because if you are, oh man, that'll rise up inside of you. That, that spirit of a fighter and that faith. You know, the last thing I, I wanted to share with you, and we're gonna pray, <clears throat> is I look at passages like this a lot, right? Bible stories. And what I always tend to do personally is, is I put myself in the seat of the hero. 
right? So I read 1 Samuel 17, and I think to myself, well, well I'm David, right? Naturally, that's me, and, and God's using me to, to fight the giant. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that you can approach any narrative, and, and from every character represented, that you can draw spiritual truth out of, as we've done today. <clears throat> but truthfully, church, I'm not David. Truthfully, you're not David either. You, you know who we are? We're the scared Israelites in the tent, afraid to go out and fight the giant. You know who David is? Jesus. Jesus is the greater David. Just like Jesus was the greater Moses, just like Jesus is the greater every Old Testament character that we can see. In fact, David's sole purpose of existing was really just to show us what our Messiah God was ultimately gonna do. Just as Goliath taunted the people of God, he's a representation of sin. He's a representation of sin, death, and the grave. And, and so it was death and sin taunted humanity. And just as David ran to the front lines to defeat Goliath, so Jesus put on flesh and bone, stepped into our world, and ran to the front lines to defeat sin, death, and the grave. He is our victorious champion. David was an unlikely champion. Similarly, Jesus was just a, just a common looking man. In fact, most people didn't even recognize him for what he really was. Unlikely champions. David showed up that day to the fight because he was just doing the will of his father. I'm just trying to bring lunch to my brothers and Jesus came here to earth doing the will of his heavenly father and while he's here, ends up defeating the ultimate nemesis of all mankind. Sin, death, and the grave. I say all of this to say, listen to me church, Jesus is an excellent giant killer. Oh, he's the best. He's an excellent giant killer. And if he can handle the giant of sin and death, then I'm, I'm very, very certain that he can handle whatever giant is trying to rise up in your life. <clears throat> it's like, seriously, like, like the giant of finances compared to the giant of sin of humanity? Like, like the giant of some marriage struggle compared to the giant of sin of humanity? If he can handle this, then we know he can handle these things. Have faith, trust God. Th those moments when, when you feel like, man, I've, I, pastor, I've swung, I've fought, and the enemy is just trying to say, yeah, it's not really working out, is he? You might just wanna give up on this one. You might just wanna stop. In those moments, man, you, you gotta remind yourself, no, 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 Jesus is victorious. He always is, he never loses a fight. He's like that big, huge bully in school that no one could ever take down. He's not a bully, but he always, always wins. This is the God that we serve. That giant might be too real, but it can't last too long when you have faith in our champion, Jesus. Right now, why don't we stand to our feet all over the auditorium? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I could list a million examples of, of different giants in our life. The fact of the matter is you know what's trying to come against you. And it would be my, my privilege and honor just to pray with you. Right now, if, if you're saying, man, Pastor Clay, that's me. I, I got a giant. I know what it is. I recognize it. But man, I, I pray that God would give me the, the vision and the faith to see this thing fall face down in my life. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Praise God. Hands going up all over the place. Praise God. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every single individual with their hand in the air. God, I thank you that they have lived enough life to having 
to have faced lions and bear problems, but God, for this giant problem in their life, I pray that just as you were faithful with the lion and the bear, that you will be so faithful with this giant problem, God, that their faith would stir up inside of them, that they would remind themselves of your goodness and your faithfulness, God, that you have been far good to us, more than we ever deserved in the past, and the same God that did it back then is gonna be the same God that's gonna do it right now. Lord, I pray that their faith would increase. I pray that they would see and have, have faith vision like they've never seen before. God, I pray that our confession would change, that we would stop confessing the negative, stop confessing what we only see in the natural, but God, we would start confessing and believing for what is in the supernatural, God, and how you're gonna pull through. We love you. God, fill them up in Jesus' name. Right now, if you are far from God, you can put your hands down. If you're far from God, it's the last group that we wanna pray for. You wanna come into a real relationship with Jesus. Maybe you haven't served God for a while now, but now is your chance. You're saying, I need to get back right in my relationship with Jesus Christ, with no one looking around. If that's you, go ahead and put your hand in the air. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I, I wanna pray for you. You're saying, man, I've been far from God, haven't been serving him, but, but I, I wanna serve Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. I wanna surrender my life to the victorious champion who is Jesus Christ. Thank you, keep it up. Five more seconds, anyone else? Anyone else? You wanna give your life over, maybe for the first time or maybe you're just coming back into a right standing relationship. Awesome, awesome. You can put your hands down. Let's, let's pray this together, church, and, and you can repeat it after me. Many people might even pray it for the very first time. Everyone say, Lord Jesus, this morning I recognize my need for you, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, the victorious champion, of sin, death, and the grave. God, I place my faith in you. I take my will, I throw it to the side. I pick up your will and your plans for my life. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you shed blood to cleanse me and make me righteous. From this day on, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen, come on, let's put our hands together, church. Come on. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Our prayer is that it will help you to live a God-first life. For more information about Celebration Church and other available resources, please visit our website at www.celebration.org.